So today is a little series kicking off today called Seismic Prayer, and one of the things that I know about life is that sometimes life gets desperate, and sometimes life, when it gets desperate, gets really, really hard, and in those times, we need God to move. We want God to move. We're desperate for God to move. We want God to shake up something so that God would speak to me in my life and my needs. And so this little series is called Seismic Prayer, and the idea behind it is, you know about seismic movement, right? When the tectonic plates of the earth are moving and they're crashing into each other, uh, that results in earthquakes, and these quakes, while we can see the result of them, we can't see the activity actually happening. Well, if if you got a video camera in a room shaking, yeah, you can get a video of that, but the idea is that all this seismic activity is going beneath the surface. It's happening beyond our ability to see, and, and because of that, there are all kinds of things that change because of this seismic movement, and I believe that's an appropriate definition of prayer, that if we really want things to change in our lives, we need to be investing in the unseen, and the unseen has everything to do with being involved in prayer. I know uh, that uh, you're likely aware of the challenges that I had earlier this year with my health. And I've shared with you how important it was for me to get into prayer because that was, the, that was really a big part of how I got myself out of. I didn't get myself out of anything. Let me rephrase that. God was the one that got me out. Uh, but that's where I leaned on, and, and it had to do everything to do with prayer. So today and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about prayer and why we need to be invested in prayer and what prayer is about, especially when we're facing challenges in life. And to get started this morning, I'm going to read to you in a moment from the fourth chapter of Acts, but I want to set it up by looking at the third chapter of Acts real briefly. In the third chapter of Acts, we find Peter and John. This is after the resurrection. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen, right? Amen for the after the resurrection, right? Jesus rose from the dead, amen. Uh, so this happens after the resurrection. Peter and John are going to the temple. They're going to pray. It's in the afternoon, the third hour in the afternoon, 3 o'clock. They're going to pray. And when they get to the temple, they're going, uh, entering the temple through this beautiful gate it was named. And there happened to be a man who was lame from birth there. And he was begging, begging for money. He didn't have any way to sustain his life. He was asking people for money. And so as Peter and John are walking past the guy, he asked them for some money And they stop, and Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. And he says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And guess what happened? He got up, and he walked. And it was amazing. And people were beginning to praise God even more and even more. The word of Jesus was spreading like wildfire in the area. And oh, by the way, because we know it historically from historical records, but also from what the Bible teaches us, there was an uproar that was going on in Jerusalem during this time. The religious leaders were losing their grip on the, 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 the state of Jerusalem, if you will, the condition of Jerusalem. They were uh, threatened by Jesus. They were threatened by Jesus' power because they counted on people following their lead. And yet Jesus has come. He's died. He rose from the dead. And because of all the things that Jesus did and the miracles that he did, people's lives were being changed and people were turning away from the Jews and going to follow after this guy named Jesus. So Peter and John come that day. The man is healed. And then Peter, it says in Acts 3, begins 
to say to them, spell out for them uh, why this has happened. And he, he, he outlines really the, basically the history of Israel and he, he, he speaks this first sermon ever. And you find that starting in chapter 3 of Acts. And as a result of Peter's preaching, he and John get arrested. And they are told that they should not speak the name of Jesus again. So let's listen now from Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 18 through 31. I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord in your life right now. It says, So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling him about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, it says in verse 27, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor of the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the word of God with boldness. Can the people of God say amen and amen? Now, as I mentioned already, the movement of God that had been going on here in Jerusalem had become a threat to the Jewish leaders. They were used to having great power, these leaders were, but because of Jesus, their power was fading. And these leaders wanted to send a message to Peter and John, and that was, quit using this guy's name. Quit speaking about him. Don't teach about him. Uh, the message was, hey, go tell your peeps. We don't want to hear anything more about this guy named Jesus. And can you imagine the audacity of that, of that request by the leaders? The audacity that they would have to say, hey, we don't want this healing stuff to go on anymore. We're tired of all this healing stuff. We don't want to see people's lives healed and made whole. We don't want this happening anymore. We don't want you teaching about this Jesus stuff in our schools, in our community centers, at the grocery store. We don't want to hear about his name anymore. Can you imagine how crazy that request was from the get-go? Stop healing in Jesus' name. And all this points to a great spiritual principle that you find in many places in the Bible, and that is that when there is a movement of God, when the kingdom of God is moving, 
there is always a response by the adversary to that movement of the kingdom of God. Every single time the kingdom begins to move, the adversary moves against that movement. And there are plenty of examples in the scripture about it. One of those would be from early in the Bible when the people of Israel were in captivity in Egypt. They were released from bondage uh, through the leadership of Moses and the power of God. They get out of Egypt, over a million of them. They're walking, literally walking away from Egypt after 400 years. Can you imagine? They were being delivered from the oppression that they had. It was a movement of God that was working. But almost as quickly as that movement of God began, the people of Israel find themselves in, uh, faced with a huge os- obstacle. They're trying to escape Egypt, but they run up against the sea, and there's no place for them to go. And oh, by the way, behind them, the adversary has raised up, and that comes in the form of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's chariots who are coming to destroy them. They are in a, in a, in a major plight. They're cornered at this point in their history. And evil is rising against them. But what happens? God delivers them. God parts the sea and the people walk across on dry land and they all praise God as a result of it. It is one of those times in Scripture that we are reminded that when there is movement of the kingdom of God, there is also movement of an adversary against that movement of God. Because the, the evil one knows that if he can defeat a movement of God, he will win a great victory for the forces of darkness. Another example comes from the apostle Paul and Silas. Now think about this. Jesus has risen from the dead. Let the church say amen. Jesus has risen from the dead. Paul and Silas are leaving on a missionary journey to go bring the gospel message to Europe, essentially, is what they're doing. And they end up in Philippi, and one of the first things that you find out happened in Philippi is there is, there is a woman who is possessed with a demon, and this woman happens to be a fortune teller who is very well known in the area. You know, a, a fortune teller, somebody who, who, who reads the cards, so to speak, and gives people their fortune. Well, she was so popular that she had men who were basically her handlers, They were her agents, and they would book her uh, sessions at different places, and they would, of course, get the profit from that. Well, you can imagine that when uh, when Paul and Silas are there, and she's healed of this demon, she's lost this ability to tell fortunes anymore, and the guys who are her managers are hot. This woman was the goose that laid the golden egg, and they have just taken the goose away. Their livelihood is at stake, and so... Paul and Silas end up in jail. And we would be inclined to think that their ending up in jail was just because uh, of the way that those men were angry and wanted to, to get rid of these guys because they wanted the power of this girl to come back. But no, we would be wrong to see it that narrowly. Instead, today, I would invite you to recognize that this resistance is always on the horizon when spiritual battles are being waged. It's always on the horizon. It is the work of the enemy to stifle, to push down, to push out of sight the movement of God which starts. It's a principle, a divine principle that says when God moves, there will be some kind of movement from the adversary against it. Jesus warned his disciples. He warns us about it in John 15, verse 19. Jesus says, if you belonged to the world, the world you love, you the world, the world would love you as its own. However, I have chosen you out of the world, and you don't belong to the world. This is why 
the world hates you. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6, verse 12. If you belonged to the world, the world would love you as its own. However, I have chosen you out of the world and you don't belong to the world. This is why the world hates you. If you are a Christ follower, you need to understand that in your life, in your family, in your business, no matter where you go or what you're involved with, there will clearly be times when things come at you from what appear to be out of left field. And you know how that phrase goes, right? Something, something, something surprises us, and we say, it came out of left field. I didn't recognize where it was coming from. And very often we think it's just some kind of random thing, but have you considered that it's very possible that those things that come at you from left field are sent by the evil one to try to beat you down, to thwart you? The evil one wants to derail you. He wants to derail your marriage. He wants to derail your kids. He wants to derail your business. He wants to derail everything good about you and that you're investing in because he knows, the evil one does, that if he can derail you, then he would win a great victory for the principalities of darkness. When I was down and out earlier this year with my health issue, I've said before about how dark it was and that that darkness that I was encountering got me to the place where I was wondering, I was pondering whether it's time to throw in the towel. And I'm talking about throwing in the towel of my life because I felt like I was getting ready to die. And I'm like, okay, I guess maybe this is time for me to just kind of give up and throw in the towel and say, okay, I'm done. You know, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not, I'm not afraid of death at all because that's a, a new beginning for me. But in that time, I was, I was buying the lies that were coming at me from the forces of darkness. In the middle of all that, some people came and prayed for me. And as a result of those prayers, I began to turn my attention not to the, the evil things that were being pushed my direction, the evil thoughts, the evil uh, ideas that were popping into my brain, the darkness that was encroaching upon me. As a result of those prayers, I began to see more light and to recognize that God was not through with me, that no matter what happened in this circumstance, that I want to be glorifying God till the day I die. I want to praise Him for my life. But it has to do with this divine principle that whenever God begins to move, there are forces of darkness that will move against you because they want to defeat you. They want to say your life is worthless, that your life is, is, is not going anywhere. And in this passage that I read to you, Peter and John, who are seeking to stoke the fire of Jesus, find themselves in a great battle opposed by the evil one. And what do they do? This is very important for us to recognize because what the story teaches us, tells us, is that they didn't carry the burden of what was going on on their own backs. They took it back and shared it with other believers. And this is really critical for us to recognize and understand. They shared the burden with the body of Christ. And this is part of the reason that the church is so important. The church, with all its frailties, with all its failures, because the church is filled with people who are imperfect, the church is the one institution whose focus has to be and needs to be the person of Jesus. And because of that, there are necessarily forces of darkness that come against the church all the time, come against you all the time. Peter and John have a restraining order placed on them. 
don't talk about Jesus ever again. It was the forces of darkness intending to tell them, look, you need to give up. You're beaten. You're defeated. You might as well throw in the towel and give it up. In order to make this a little bit more real, though, this morning, I want to invite you to recognize that that there are times, and I've had some conversations with people over the years as a pastor, where people are exploring a business opportunity. And they come to me, they want to invite me to pray about it and talk about it and that kind of thing. And one of the things that I've heard on more than one occasion is fear from someone who's afraid to go down this road because they're afraid of how good it's going to be, and they're afraid that because of how good it's going to be, that they're afraid the devil is going to really throw everything at them. And they're hesitant to jump out and go down that road simply because they're afraid of what the devil might do. Now, you understand their perspective, don't you? But when you hear it like I just said it, aren't you in, in your mind or maybe in the back of your mind thinking, well, well, gosh, are you, are you supposed to do what God asks you to do or are you supposed to do what Satan asks you to do? Which one are you more afraid of? Satan or God? Which one is going to provide you more opportunity, God or Satan? You need to recognize that by virtue of the fact that you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, by virtue of the fact that you are a Christian, you are already on the devil's naughty list. The devil wants to beat you down, to take away advantage in your life. He wants to destroy you as best he can because he knows that if he can, if he can beat you down, then he wins a victory for the forces of darkness. So when something comes down the pike in your life and you think that it's directed by God and you get confirmation in that through prayer and by sharing it with some trusted individuals, you need to batten down the hatches and go down that road because which one are you going to do? Are you going to follow God's lead or are you going to follow the lead of darkness? So one of the things that this helps us recognize is that when we face a great obstacle, what we should be doing is getting together with other Christians and praying. Don't face the obstacle by yourself. You and I need to do it together. I want to invite you right now to turn to somebody next to you and say, I'll be calling you. Say that to them right now. I'll be calling you. I'll be calling you. Go ahead, say it. I'll be calling you. Uh, that's a promise, right? That's a promise to say, hey, I got your back. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray with you. When the need is there, when the times get tough, I will pray with you and for you for whatever that issue is in your life. It is one of the reasons the church exists. We are not intended to live our lives as Christ followers in isolation. We need each other. We need the church. God gave us the church to be a manifestation of God's power in this world. Listen to the way Paul said it in Ephesians 3, verses 9 and 10. He said, God sent me to reveal the secret plan that had been hidden since the beginning of time by God who created everything. God's purpose is now to show the rulers and powers in the heavens the many different varieties of his wisdom through the church. The church. God's power intended to be displayed through the church. So let's finish this up this morning by looking at how they responded. Let's read this prayer together. I'm going to read, we're going to read verses 24 through 30. Let's join, would you join with me please in reading or saying the prayer. Let's say it as a prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, 
the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And, and read that one more time with me. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Isn't that our prayer today? That we would want to see that kind of activity happen in the church through the power of Jesus Christ? So there are a couple things that happened as this passage unfolds in front of us. The first thing that happens is that Peter and John go and they make a report. They tell the believers what is going on. And this should be a reminder to us that while we don't like to get invasive in people's lives, we like to provide space and not invade in people's lives and, and get nitty-gritty with them, but let's be clear about it. What this teaches us is that we should be specific in prayer. We need to ask specifically for prayers. And part of the reason this is important is because it changes the power of the, of the praying individual because it begins to provide for them an emotional attachment to that prayer and it becomes something more than just a, something that drifts off the head. Let me explain it to you this way. Before my mom died 10 years ago, there are on many occasions where I asked you, I asked the different individuals to pray for my mom. And I know that many people did. But one of the things that I know about my mom in this prayer is, is that I began to share with people what was going on with my mom. And it changed my request for prayer from, I want you to pray for my mom, to, I want you to pray for my mom because she's struggling with dementia. And she's losing her ability to reason and have conversation. And she is getting depressed because she feels like her life amounts to nothing. And she's living in a very dark place. Would you please pray for my mom? Now, do you see the difference between those two kinds of praying? That when I just asked you, pray for my mom, we, okay, I'll pray for your mom, Frank. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. You'd say, oh, I'll pray for her, but did you really? But if I share with you the second request, my hunch is, is that you're probably going to pray about that because there's now an emotional connection. You've experienced the pain that I feel, at least some of it, when I shared that prayer. And because of it, you are more invested. And when more people are invested, they become more focused. And through that focus, God begins to move. God begins to change people's lives. Being specific raises the awareness of the need to a new level, and it changes how we pray. 
think about those people that day when Peter and John went to them and told them about what was going on. It says they began to pray. Can you imagine how it sounded in that room? How profound it must have been? How impassioned they must have been because their friends, were, were their lives were at risk. Their lives were in peril. And, and the people's prayers had to be loud and boisterous and profound in claiming the power of God to intervene in this situation with Peter and with John. This is why uh, it's curious to me sometimes about why we're so shy to share real things with other people in prayer. I, I, I venture a guess with you this morning, and that guess is based on my own uh, perspective of understanding how we work and how we live, and that is that, that I would guess that sometimes we don't share because we don't want somebody else to know that we have problems. Like they don't know we have problems. If you're alive, you have problems. Or you may not have something monumental in front of you right now, but there is something monumental that's coming. It, to be alive is to understand that there are challenges that we face. And why are we so hesitant to share that I made a bad mistake or that I did something wrong or, or, that, I, or that something happened, something came out of my mouth that I didn't mean to say? And instead of just saying, hey, would you pray for me? How about being specific about that prayer and being vulnerable about that prayer so that people would understand the need that is so desperately there rather than being concerned about somebody's fingernail that didn't work right. Let's pray about the deeper things, about why the fingernail matters at all. We've got to be specific in our prayer. So the first thing they did was they reported. They were specific. The second thing they did was they prayed. It says they lifted their voices in unison. And there's great power in lifting your voices in unison. Think about an old Western movie that you've seen, the cowboys and Indians getting ready to do battle. And the Indians, they're on the ridges. The cowboys are always down in the valleys, right? And the Indians on their horses, they, they shout out that battle cry and that woo, 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 woo that they do. It's a mark that we're getting ready to have battle here, friends. It's a battle cry. All hands on deck. Everybody ought to be ready because we're getting ready to fight. Or think about the movies where you've seen the cavalry involved, right? When the cavalry gets ready to attack, the bugler gets out the bugle and sounds the charge. It's like, okay, we're all together in this. Let's go and let's do this battle. I submit to you this morning that when they began to pray that day for Peter and John, it was a battle cry against the forces of darkness. They were, they were witnessing to God. They're saying, God, your power is greater than this power. We are claiming battle against the forces of darkness right here and right now. A battle cry. And part of what this example does is it reminds us about the power of lifting our voices together. Too often we think, well, I can't pray aloud because I'm not very eloquent with my words. Well, you know, there's this, 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 praying aloud has nothing to do with your eloquence of words. It doesn't matter what's, what trips out of your mouth. What matters is the intent of your heart. Because after all, you're praying to God, aren't you? Are you praying to impress somebody that's in the room that, that you, you, wow, what an eloquent prayer you are. Well, you know, does that really matter? If somebody's an eloquent prayer, the person that matters is God. So we need to lift our voices to God. And there's just power when the voices are are proclaiming the goodness of God. One of the things that, that I've taught you that, that many of you have learned is, is one of the proclamations that I came back with 
our, that our team came back with from Kenya. And it goes like this. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And it is his nature. And we ended by saying, wow, God is good all the time. And when we proclaim that together, there's great power in that proclamation. In this passage, they are raising their voices, all of them together, saying to God, God, we trust you. We trust your power to intervene in this situation that we feel is out of control. They're raising their voices that, that God needs to intervene to get involved. So it says they lifted their voices together. And, oh, by the way, depending on which translation you read, this is one of those passages that, that uh, determines definitively that everybody back in that day drove Hondas because it says they were all in one accord. <laughs> right? Yeah, okay, well, let's go on then. Now. Okay, that one, uh, we'll punt that one out next time. I guess we'll leave that one. You've heard that one before, have you? Yeah, of course, of course you have. Hey, the word translated together here, this word together, is a word that means there was unified passion in their voices. It, it's a word, homothumadon. Uh, homothumadon is a Greek word that comes from the idea that we get today of the word thermometer or thermostat. And, and you understand what a thermometer does. It tells the temperature. A thermostat is supposed to control the temperature in an area. And just as these do these things, the passage is saying to us, they all had the same temperature. In other words, they were united in what they were doing. And there's power through that unification. And then the third thing that it tells us is it tells us about their request. They begin by telling God who he is. Sovereign, creator of heaven and earth and the sea and all that is. They're not telling God who he is. They're reminding themselves of who God is. They're saying to themselves, hey, look, we're calling on the power of God, the one who created all of it, because we know that we don't have that kind of power. We need God's power to intervene in what is going on right in front of us. And, oh, by the way, this is an example that is consistent with Jesus' teaching on prayer as well. Because you remember when Jesus' friends came to him and they, and they said, how, how do we pray? What should we say? How do we do that? That Jesus said, you begin your prayer this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. It's, it's, it's the same thing. It, it's Jesus saying, when you begin your prayer, you need to remember that you're calling on authority, you're calling on power that is greater than yours. You're acknowledging that as you begin to pray. Now, something happens when people get together for prayer. And I am so convicted by this. Uh, this is something that God started me in me earlier this year, that I've got to be more intentional in my own prayer life, and, and that our church has got to be more intentional as well in, in, in being involved in spiritual renewal, which is what comes through prayer. So I want to make you aware that when January 1 gets here, on the first day of the next year, I want to invite you to join me in a 21-day fast. It's a 21-day fast about spiritual renewal, and you'll get direction about that as we get closer to the end of the year. But I want you to join with me because I want to, I want to pay, place an exclamation point on the next year that's coming and saying that we as a church are claiming this year for God. And we, we, we want to see God do that by first uh, claiming it for ourselves. 
to be invested in spiritual renewal. So on the 1st, we'll start our 21 days of fasting. And then on the 8th of January, on a Wednesday, I'm going to invite you to come here to Lighthouse to pray. And, and we're going to have a, a, a prayer and worship time. Kelly's going to lead our worship. We're going to have, it's going to be simply coming together to pray and worship. And I'm telling you this in advance right now so you can put it on your calendars. Because I would venture a guess that if you were to pull out your phone right now and looked at January the 8th, there may be nothing on your calendar on that day. There, there, there probably is not anything on that night. So if you get it on your calendar now, then you do away with the excuse that you're going to have down the road of, oh, I can't come because I've got this to do. I can't come because I've got that to do. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. There's plenty of this and that that all of us need to do. But friends, I'm, I'm saying as, as clearly as I can, we got to knuckle down on this stuff. we got to dig deeper on this stuff. And that has to do with opening the year by praying and by fasting together. And here's why all this is so important. Some of you are facing really hard times right now. doesn't matter why they're hard. And you're not sure of which way to go. You don't know how to climb out of what's going on, and you, and you find yourself in a very dark place. You and I need to recognize that there is very clearly an adversary that wants to move against us, and that that adversary wants to destroy our lives. And we need to pray, just as they prayed with Peter and John, against this adversary, and it begins by proclaiming the goodness of God and to remember that God has not forgotten us, that God will never forget us, that God will always lead us through those path places where we find darkness. Always. Every time, God will lead you. And the reason that I can say that is not just based on what the Bible says, but based on my own life. Because I can look at a, dark, a lot of dark places in my own life where God is the one who has carried me through. Every single time, we must not forget that God is for us. So instead of, of, of those people that day saying, uh, when Peter and John came, instead of them saying, well, we're going to start a Bible study now, or we're going to read some book now, they said, hey, let's do this one thing. Let's gather together and let's pray. It says in verse 30, stretch out your hand. With healing power, may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Isn't that the kind of church that we, we want to be a part of? In verse 31, it says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. It shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. And I just want to proclaim today, friends, that this seismic activity of prayer is something that needs to shake us. I, I hope and pray that when you leave here today, you would, you would leave here with a strong conviction that you want God to shake up your life, to lead you in a new way, to, to, to not be distant from you, that you are committing yourself to Him and to His work and to His life every single day, instead of making some, some kind of a casual commitment to God, to make it a deeper kind of thing, because that's when the earth sh shakes. And we need this earth to shake. We need our lives to shake for God. Because God has done so much for us. We want to lean on God and not ourselves. And the shaking began that day with them. And they went out and preached with great boldness. And that's what our church needs. Would you be willing to say, would you be willing to say today that you would be open to God shaking up your life? Would you have the audacity 
to really own and say, yeah, God, I want you to shake up my life. Knowing that with God shaking up your life, my life, that together God can do in us and through us amazing things for this community and this world. So I want to conclude this morning by inviting you to pray with me, and I want to do it in a very specific way. We're going to I want to ask you to share with me in a directed prayer. And a directed prayer is simply, I'm going to say a line, and you're going to repeat it back. We're going to be in unison about all this, okay? And I want to stretch you maybe a little bit today by asking you to assume a position in which you're seated upright, and you put your hands open on your knees in front of you as a sign, as a symbol of saying, okay, God, I'm open to you. Either put them on your knees or just put them in front of you, whichever is more comfortable for you. It's, it's not, there's nothing magic about the hands, friends. It's, it's about saying, God, I, I really want to be open to you. And let's bow our heads and our hearts now as we pray. Almighty God, you are the one who created us all. You created the winds of the earth, the sky and the sea. And we pray today that the Holy Spirit would fill us, fill our lives, and that we would follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We pray against the evil one. We pray against the forces of darkness. And we pray, God, that you would use us to bring the light of Jesus into people's lives by loving them, by praying for them, by helping them be encouraged in you. And we ask, God, that you would do this in the powerful name, the name that is above all names, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for joining with me in prayer today.